2: Lot Talk Radio Lot Talk Radio
1: Welcome to Wellness, Wholeness and Wisdom with your host, psychologist Parthenia Izzard. Parthenia is a psychologist and certified natural healthcare practitioner. We will show you alternative paths towards health with a holistic approach. Call in with your questions or comments at 888-235-7374. And now here's the host of Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom, psychologist Parthenia Izard.
3: You passively exist with backaches, allergies, PMS, colds, flu, and other ailments. It's time to take charge of your life with preventive measures. Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies for an initial consultation. Alternative Medicine Therapies offers a holistic approach to preventive care, unlike conventional medicine that tries to correct the illness that exists instead of preventing it altogether. Don't let anyone tell you that your situation is hopeless. Alternative medicine therapies like iridology, kinesiology, reflexology, energy medicine, which includes chi therapy, acupressure, and psychological consultations has an amazing track record of positive results. Why suffer when Alternative Medicine Therapies with Parthenia Izzard is here to help? Contact Alternative Medicine Therapies today for an initial consultation and visit their website at www.amtherapies.com.
1: Or call 610 658 0135. Alternative Medicine Therapies.
2: Yes, you are listening.
1: Welcome to this
2: psychology
0: classification topic called Dark Side. Remember, on my site, we have a. You can preview and purchase an autographed copy of the book I co-authored, 101 Great Ways to Improve Your Health, on my site. Uh, Now, the chapter I did was naturopathy, and uh, we're going to be talking with Captain Paul K. Chappelle, a West, West Point graduate and author of The Art of Waging Peace. But right now, it's time for our wellness news.
2: In next
0: Daily, and um, talking about marital, the marital status, how marital status reduces the risk of death from HIV AIDS for men. Now, this came out July 12, 2015. Um, at the height of the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s, men who were married were significantly less likely to die of HIV slash AIDS. Now, then their divorced or otherwise single counterparts, according to a University of California, Riverside, analysis of new mortality data for that era. Uh, for women, marital status had little impact on who was more likely to die of the disease. But race proved to be a significant risk factor with African-American women, nine times more likely to die of HIV, AIDS, and Latinas, seven times more likely to die of the disease than European-American women. Now, those mortality rates are considerably higher than those for men of color compared to European-American men. Now, the study by UCR Sociology Professor of Augustine Raposova, uh, quote, Marital status and HIV AIDS mortality Evidence from the U.S. National Longitudinal Mortality Data uh, End quote Is the first to examine the effects of marital status On deaths of individuals with HIV AIDS It appears in the International Journal of Infectious Diseases The official publication of the International Society for Infectious Diseases Now using data from a recent release Of the U.S. National Longitudinal Mortality study and the National Death Index, um, uh, tracked nearly seven hundred and sixty-three thousand individuals aged fifteen and older between eighteen sorry, nineteen eighty-three and nineteen ninety-four. A total of four hundred and ten of those individuals died of HIV AIDS in that period of time. Now these data, quote, these data capture when HIV AIDS was approaching pandemic level. End quote. Kapsova uh, explained, quote, People were very afraid. The perception was that only men who had sex with men were getting infected, so no one was looking at risk factors for people who were married, widowed, or separated, end quote. Uh, Kapsova's uh, analysis of the levels of mortality data find that marital status was a significant risk factor for men, but not women. Uh, Divorced and separated men were more than six times more likely to die of AIDS than married men, and those who had never married were 13.5 times more likely to die of the disease than those who were married. Uh, African American men were 2.7 times as likely to die of HIV-AIDS as European American men, and Hispanic men were more than twice as likely to die of the disease as European American men. Quote, it turns out that the big story for women is race, particularly for African Americans and Latinos, Capozoa said, Quote, this, the question is, why would Latino and African American women have been more at risk of HIV, end quote. Uh, The most logical explanation, uh, Kosovo believes, relates to how little was known in the 1980s about how the HIV virus was transmitted and a health care system that historically disadvantages the poor, quote, those who... But those without care are more likely to be minority women, he said. It's really a function of the health care system who has access and how soon people seek care. So in the 1980s, poor people and minorities who often lack information about health care were at greater risk of death from HIV AIDS. By the time they presented themselves for health care and the disease would have progressed, <coughs> excuse me, uh, he goes on to say that his assertion is supported by other studies showing that women of color typically receive less aggressive treatment for diseases such as cancer, and that uh, African Americans and Hispanics are less likely to be prescribed narcotic pain medications for back pain than European Americans, even when one takes into account pain severity. He noted that in the U.S., post diagnosis cancer survival rates are much lower for people of color than European Americans. Quote, The elephant in the room is the health care system and the value we put on different people because of their color and background. He adds, We don't say that consciously, but it is why the Obama administration has put so much emphasis on reducing health disparities in this country. End quote. Okay, and again, that's from ScienceDaily.com. Uh, they come out with some very timely and uh, very up-to-date and current research uh, for people to peruse. All right, um, as I said earlier, and we now have him on the line, um, my guest this evening is Captain Paul K. Chappell. He graduated from West Point in 2002, uh, was deployed to Baghdad, and left active duty in November 2009 as a captain. He is the author of three other books, uh, serves as the peace leadership director for the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation, and lectures nationally and internationally. Uh, Captain Paul Chappell grew up in Alabama, the son of a Korean mother and a half-black and a half-white father who fought in the Korean and Vietnam Wars. Good evening. Good evening, Paul. How are Thank you? you?
4: Thank you for having me, really I really appreciate it. Thank you
0: great having you here. I mean first of all I've got to say I love the title. I you can't imagine my reaction when I saw The Art of Waging Peace, because uh, you're so used to hear I'm studying and reading about the art of waging war. Obviously I I right. I'm certain that has a lot to do with uh your selection or of, of of the title. I uh, I do have to ask who is the statue of? It's a beautiful cover. Uh,
4: oh yes, it's it's, a, it's from the memorial to the people who died during the Spanish Civil War. So it's a, it's a war memorial for the for the death of the Spanish Civil War. And the the statue is very contemplative, and um, I think we have to be very contemplative about these problems we're facing today as well.
0: Most definitely, and, and I want to um, start out by you know, before we get into the text itself, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where you're from, how peaceful your upbringing was or was not, things of that nature?
4: Well, my my father, he's half white and half black, and my mother's Korean, and I grew up in Alabama, and my father was in the Army for 30 years, and he fought in the Korean and Vietnam Wars, so he had a lot of war trauma, and I graduated from West Point. I was in the Army, as you said, and now I'm working for Peaceful Time.
2: Okay. So,
0: Very good now, uh, and you grew up in the States. Um, what, what would you say inspired you to want to go to West Point and to start a career in the military?
4: I think there were a couple things. One thing was that when I was a child, my father told me that the only place in America where a black man has a fair chance is in the Army, and that was his reality growing up in the South under segregation during the Great Depression, And my parents told me that if you don't go into the Army because you're part black and you look Asian, you're not going to have equal opportunity. And the Army had desegregated prior to the Civil Rights Movement. And when I told my mother I was getting out of the Army in 2009, she got really angry at me. And she said, are you out of your mind? She said, no one's going to give you a job. She said, it's bad enough you look Asian. You're also part black. She said, who's going to give a job to a black man who looks Asian? Mm-hmm. And I think that demonstrates that things have changed. We we have a long way to go. So maybe it's a marathon, maybe we're halfway there, maybe we're a third of the way there, but some progress has happened.
2: Mm-hmm. And
4: I think that it also shows some of the realities about race in our country that um, if you weren't white, if you were African American, it was very difficult to get a job or have a fair chance 100 years ago. And... That's still true to some extent today. We've made progress, but we still have to make more progress on that issue.
0: Uh, and I guess in varying communities, you will have parents who are so, I guess, so concerned for their sons and daughters and the life they may have that they, oftentimes, may may present some present things in a more uh extreme manner and then of course like you say they're coming from a very different period of time uh who uh, and having having experienced a, an entirely different set of uh experiences <laughs> from us um uh, but no i i i agree with you in, uh, uh, that things have changed there has been progress and 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 it's there's certainly a lot different now than was before but there are certain things that still need work yes we do have much yet to do (laughs) Um, now again in your book you talk about uh, how there's seven books in the series and you've written four so far this one being the fourth correct
4: that's correct yes
0: could you share the names of the uh, first three
2: for my listeners
4: the uh, the first three are titled will war ever end the end of war peaceful revolution and the fourth book is the art of waging peace
0: okay and how do they prepare us for this book
4: they all they all. okay i'm sorry this wasn't supposed to
0: be a trick question and i'm trying i I really don't want to put you on the spot but i I wanted our readers to sort of be caught up a little bit
4: that's a very good question so when you're talking about peace and war there's so much content that has to be explored The human mind is the most complex thing we know of in the universe. And to talk about peace, we have to understand military history, world history, civil rights, nonviolence, violence. violence. We have to know animal behavior, human behavior, injustice. We have to know so many different facets of the universe. And so I try to divide the content in ways where each book goes deeper, but each book reveals essential parts of the of the solutions so the first book for example focuses a lot on the idea that human beings aren't naturally violent there's a very common myth today where people believe that human beings are naturally violent and war is just human nature and I talk about how before we can even make progress to peace we have to first understand human nature we have to show that we're not naturally violent based off actual evidence and then we can begin to unravel some of these solutions to these problems.
0: Very
2: good. Okay.
0: Now then, the next three books, are they already written or they're in progress? And we have a lot to look forward to.
2: I I,
4: I have all my notes for the next three. I'm currently writing the fifth one.
0: Oh, wonderful.
4: So I'm currently working on that book right now.
0: That's always nice for those of us who love to read. It's always wonderful when a favorite author has more than one book, and there are a lot of them that we can look forward to getting our hands on. So uh, thank you for that.
2: Uh, oh, thank, <laughs> um, thank you.
0: Now, what would you say to a young person, uh, or what would you think a young person needs to know who's considering a career in the military?
4: I. It's important that they know the risks and the benefits. For example, one benefit of being in the military is college money and health care, but there's other ways to achieve those goals, and a person has to know what they're getting into. And I think that military recruiters don't always tell people all the different facets of military life. So it's important that people have as much information as possible so they can make the best decision. Available
2: to them Okay that's fair Uh,
0: And you're right a a lot of times uh, Certain parents might say Okay son or daughter um, When you turn 18 you have three choices You get a job You go to college You join the military And a lot of times there isn't a lot of thought well in advance, because just like anything else, you, you have to be prepared to join the military with certain kinds of skills and certain kinds of ideas or to be the most effective person, I would imagine. But again, I'm talking as someone who's not in the military, so I probably <laughs> shouldn't say much Sorry. more than that. But um, uh, out of curiosity, how did you or what inspired the transition, or do you even see it as a transition from what uh, civilians might see as a war mentality, because we of course assume that anyone who goes into the military has what we might call a war mentality. So that's why I'm putting it that way. What inspired the transition, if there was one, from a war mentality to a peace mentality? Does that make well,
4: sense? Oh, so that that does. Now, I want to just respond a little bit more to your other question. Your other question was very insightful and very good. It, it, it's It's complex because I don't agree with American foreign policy, but if somebody comes from a very difficult socioeconomic background and that person wants to go into a navy and be a nurse, it, it, not everybody in the military is killing people and I know a peace right. activist she's a she's a professor of peace studies and she's a really committed peace activist and she's she's upper middle class white and she says She said to me one time, she said, you know, it's easy for peace activists to tell people not to go into the military because we already have our nice houses, we have our nice gardens. But if someone's from a really impoverished background and the person wants to go into the Air Force and be a cook or be an electronics uh, technician or be a nurse or be an x-ray technician, what right do we have that person to tell them they can't do that? If that's really one of their only options. So I think we have to think about what other options can we give to young people because I think it's unfair that there are people where if they don't go into the military, they just realistically probably can't get college money because maybe they didn't care much in high school and they're not going to get a scholarship. So we just have to really think as a society, are we providing enough opportunities for young people? And if people are in a very desperate situation, they just have to know what they're getting into and what the risks are and they have to decide for themselves.
0: Okay, well, that's fair. That's very fair. And uh, And now, go ahead.
4: ahead. Oh, yeah. your other question is, uh, is a really, really thoughtful question. I think that just a lot of things I learned at West Point and in the Army opened my eyes to how a lot of things that violence does actually is counterproductive. And the use of war, even though we're being told it makes us safer, in many ways, it's doing the opposite, and I think that if the American people knew not only that war doesn't make us safe, but there's a better way to protect our country, I think that they would consider a different path for moving forward as a nation.
0: Okay, very good. Well, we're about to go to break, and before, when we come back, I'm hoping you sort of give us some clarification about the MacArthur uh, section oh, that sure. you start the book out with. I thought that was very sure. unique. Okay, thank you. All right. You. Hey, you're listening again to Wealth and and Wisdom with me, psychologist Farsini Izzard here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, you can go to my website www.amtherapy.com and you'll find a link for purchasing uh, blood type diet uh, products Um, new skin products I like to think of those things as where science technology and beauty uh, all meet Uh, we'll be back with Captain Paul K. Chappelle West Point graduate, author of The Art of Waging Peace and if you want to call in call 619-789-6835
3: Why should you passively exist with backaches, allergies, PMS colds, flu and other ailments? It's time to take charge of your life with preventive measures
0: i listening to Wellness, Wholeness, and Wisdom with me, psychologist Parthenia Izzard. Now, my live guest next week, July 23, 2013, will be Raymond Francis, a dear friend who's been on the program several times, and he's the author of Never Be Sick Again, Never Be Fat Again. And never fear cancer again And he's going to be talking about an upcoming book About never feel old again Um, Now at the end of that live program We will discuss the herb yucca And the asana Salab hasana Uh, Check the website to see who my rebroadcast Guests will be next week July 24 and 25 Uh, We are back And I, I want to tell you a little bit About the book 101 Great Ways to Improve Your Health I mean nothing is more important than your health but between the overburdened medical establishment, blaring crisis-driven health headlines, and our own hectic lives, finding the information you and your family need can be next to impossible. We're here to help. We bring together 101 of the top minds in radically different branches of the healing professions to give you 101 simple, workable ways to attack disease, overcome unhealthy habits, and live your life to its healthiest Potential. Follow the link on my homepage. It's a beautiful blue book link. Okay, we're back with Captain Paul K. Chappelle, West Point graduate and author of The Art of Waging Peace. Okay, so yes, before you get into that uh, MacArthur piece, I just want to uh, read the out, you know, read the different segments of the book, so that our listeners have an idea of what is covered, uh, so that you know they'll know exactly what they're going to get when they buy the book. Uh, now we have um, it starts out, "Prophets of Peace," General Douglas MacArthur speaking on the need to abolish war. Then there's a preface, preface, the three forms of change, Part One, the Infinite Shield. The Labyrinth of Trauma, The Siren Song of Rage, The First Line of Defense, The Power of Calm, The Three Forms of Deflection, The perilous Arrow, Part Two, The Sword That Heals, West Point and World Peace, The Master of Deception, The Sword of Truth, The Power of Persuasion and Strategic Thinking, How We Can Protect Our Country and Planet in the 21st Century, the underdog, and then there's some notes in the index. Okay, talk to us about Douglas MacArthur and his attitudes on uh, peace.
4: Yeah, so Douglas MacArthur, he realizes in this new era of nuclear weapons that human survival depends upon creating peace between countries. And in this era, world peace is really an issue of human survival, and if we don't learn how to live together peacefully or resolve conflict peacefully, and the human species won't survive. So there's a new imperative now where war is no longer just a moral issue. It's also an issue of human survival.
2: Mm,
0: very good. Okay. And I, th- I think the thing that's so unique is that a lot of people are not historians, so they've never read anything written by MacArthur, and they don't read beyond whatever they learned in you know, high school, and there's not a whole lot there. So I think it's, uh, yeah. uh, you'll find a lot of people obviously would be surprised to think of any yeah. general, as having any peace concept or positive peace appreciation, so I, I thought that was really neat that you started the book out that way. Okay, um, let me see. Uh, did you? Well, I, the infinite shield, the sword that heals. Um, why don't you share with us what your expectation is, what what it is you're hoping to accomplish with this text? What do you I want, want to our this
4: I want people to see waging peace as an art form and as a science and as a strategic method. When people think of waging war, they realize waging war requires training and waging war requires strategy and tactics and planning and recruiting. And the military has excellent training in waging war, but most activists have no training in waging peace. And people think of peace as just doing nothing or you wear a peace T-shirt or you're being passive. When peace is a struggle, it's an activity, it's an action. Just like in the civil rights movement, civil mm-hmm. rights movement transformed peace into a disciplined, strategic action to challenge injustice and helping people see that as an art form, as a strategic framework, and giving them tools where they can take part in the art of waging peace in their own lives.
0: And I, I would admit ima- I mean, I think people also tend not to realize. The danger. To me, it's more dangerous being a peaceful protester than someone with a weapon going in anywhere.
4: That's what King and Gandhi realized, was that there is danger. That's why they would often call. That's why Gandhi, for example, called himself a soldier of peace. That's why Martin Luther King Jr. called his movement an army. But these tools these skills for waging peace, they're also life skills. For example, the ability Mm -hmm. to resolve conflict, the ability to calm people down, the ability to calm yourself down, the ability to persuade people, the ability to motivate people. These are peace skills, but these are also life skills. And going back to what you said earlier about what would I say to somebody in the military, another key ingredient, another important tool for waging peace is honesty, And one thing I tell people in the peace movement is if you want people to not join the military, you need to be honest with them because that's Mm -hmm. my approach is just to be honest. Because when you turn the military into forbidden fruit, when you tell people they can't do something, they want to do it more very often. So if you make something taboo or forbidden fruit – they might want to do it even more. I know a lot of people in the military whose parents are peace activists because their parents, since they were a child, told them you can't go into the military, mm. and the child <laughs> wants to rebel and join the military. So if you're honest with people, people can sense if you're being genuine, if you're if you if you're speaking with integrity, and just to be honest about what the military is in the 21st century, that is the best thing you can do. Rather than just telling people don't go into the military, rather than that, just be honest. So that's another skill. Is, is critical, not just for waging peace, but also just for life in general.
0: Now, I hate to jump around, but uh, you mentioned in the book uh, that West Point prepared you for your peace endeavor. Or, uh, you didn't put it like that, of course, but basically, you right. know, that's sort of what you, you said. Can you sort of explain, elucidate on that?
4: Yeah, West Point gave me a lot of tools and skills that I used for waging peace. For example, West Point taught me public speaking and leadership skills and a variety of things I learned in the military I'm able to apply to waging peace. Strategic thinking is another example. There's a lot of overlap between waging peace and waging war where a lot of the skills you need for one, you need for the other. Certainly there's differences. You're not using violence and deception when you're waging peace as you are in waging war. But I think that there is enough overlap where a
0: lot of things that I learned the best plan I'm able to use on a, on a daily basis. And I, I think, too, I thought the the code of honor, I thought, also certainly translates nicely into this kind of integrity you need to have for people to be able to follow you or to, you know, follow your lead either in a war setting or a peaceful setting. So, uh, right. yeah. Very good. Okay. Now, back to the book. Um Why don't you start and just go through the aspects of the book, uh, if you want, in in order, if you will, however you like, uh, just giving people a taste of what they're going to find as they go through the text.
4: So one thing I focus on at the beginning of the book is one thing I talk about is how if a doctor's job is to promote health, they have to study and understand illness. And if our job is to promote peace, we have to understand trauma and violence and those kinds of things. And I talk about trauma, I talk about violence, the anatomy of trauma, the anatomy of violence, so that we can heal these kinds of problems. Then I go into different, the different aspects of Waging Peace. I talk about the infinite shield, which is the ability to convey respect to our composure and behavior and action. And I talk about the sword that heals, which are the nonviolent methods used, for example, by... Gandhi and Martin Luther King, Jr., to challenge injustice and change society for the better. And I talk about American foreign policy, many of the misconceptions about American foreign policy. I've talked about many of the misconceptions about war and how truth eventually has the power to defeat deception if we use the right technique.
0: Now, there was a specific chapter um where you- t- I'm calling them chapters. Is that okay? <laughs> um yeah, we yeah, talk about yeah. the siren song of rage uh, what 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 were you doing in that
4: chapter? Well, talking about just what rage is what causes berserker rage Berserker oh. rage is a common feature in war where Soldiers go berserk and they start massacring people. And I explain what causes that behavior to happen because if we want to stop that behavior, we have to understand what causes it. And then we can begin to prevent it and predict it. So I talk about berserker rage, which we see not just in war, but we see in society as well. When you look at violent crime, when you look at mass shootings, when you look at murders, you often see berserker rage as well. And so kind of re- re- removing the, the fog around that topic. It's a very taboo topic. People talk about violence, but nobody likes to talk about the causes of violence because the causes of violence makes us question, what are we doing as a society? And so I try to remove that fog, clear up these misconceptions, give people a clear picture of what rage and berserker rage in particular is, so that we can move forward and reduce the amount of violence and murder that we're seeing in our society and around
0: the world. Okay, so a, again, bringing home that concept of what you're talking about doesn't just have to deal with combative war, one military group against another, but it also has to do with what we do to one another within our daily lives, yeah. in the home, at school, at work, at play, Um <laughs> Driving down the road. <laughs> All of and, that is
4: and that's, that's a good point. And other things, too. For example, one thing I talk about a lot in the book is the women's rights movement, how 200 years ago in America, women couldn't vote, own property, or go to college. And that was because the reason that changed was because people waged peace. I talk about Susan B. Anthony. I talk about Frederick Douglass, who was one of the foremost women's rights advocates. I talk about Elizabeth Cady Stanton and how the women's rights movement was able to gain their fundamental human rights Mm -hmm. through waging peace. I talk about the civil rights movement, how African Americans were able to fight against segregation and injustice. I talk about Gandhi's movement against the British Empire. So any form of injustice where people are not being treated fairly, waging peace can be used for that. It can be used against sexism. It can be used against racism. It can be used against war. It can be used against environmental destruction, and it can be used just in our own personal interactions with people on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, I, th- I thought that was exceptional, when, uh, that's, uh, that paragraph where you pointed out, you know, because people always feel the only way to make change is through violence and through war, and you really pointed out very clearly that all those things you just mentioned really happened as a result of protest uh, Life. You know, not, not war because no women in America did not declare war on men in America <laughs> or anything cool. like that. But uh, it was a different kind of. It was a yeah a protest, a, a peaceful, nonetheless of course dangerous. But it was still a nonetheless a peaceful move, a peace movement. Um, but yeah, very good. A lot of people don't, for some reason, don't realize that or don't conceptualize that. Yeah, um,
4: you, you brought when, up a, a really good point. That's a really good. I'm really glad you mentioned that. Can I comment on that briefly? Sure, sure. So, yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up, because one thing I talk about in the book is how America's, father, America's founding fathers talked about no taxation without representation, and they believed that if you govern people, you have to get their consent. And that's a very legitimate grievance. But decades after the Revolutionary War ended, less than 10% of the American population could vote. Women couldn't vote. African Americans couldn't vote. Most white people couldn't vote unless they owned land. So how did women get the right to vote and own property? They didn't fight a war. They used mm-hmm. waging peace. How did non landowners get the right to vote? They didn't wage a war. They used waging peace. If you look at workers' rights, if you look at child labor laws, and even though the Civil War kept the union together, it took a peaceful movement, the Civil Rights Movement, before African Americans truly got their human rights. So when I was growing up in school, I was taught that we got all of our freedom through war, but decades after the Revolutionary War ended, most Americans weren't free people. And we got most of those rights through waging peace. And we're just not taught that in school, when how most of the rights we have today actually came from very, I mean, patriotic Americans, Martin Luther King Jr., Susan B. Anthony, Frederick Douglass. These people are as American as apple pie, but we're not taught the full extent of what many of them did. For example, we're not taught Mark Twain as an activist. We're taught Mark Twain as an author, but not mm. as an activist who opposed America's wars. Yeah,
2: very good.
0: Okay, well, hold that thought. Yeah. When we come back, I'd like you to share some contact information and talk a little bit about your website. Oh, sure. Okay. Sure, thank you. Mm-hmm. Folks, you're listening to well with the psychologist and certified natural health care practitioner, Carthenia Izard here on Blog Talk Radio. And we will be back with Captain Paul K. Chappelle, a West Point graduate, author of The Art of Waging Peace. Oh, and don't forget to follow me on Twitter. I'm Alternatives Medi.
3: Why should you passively exist with backaches, allergies, PMS, colds, flu, and other ailments? It's time to take charge of your life with preventive measures
0: Healthcare practitioner, Carcinea Izard. Uh, remember the autograph book, "101 Great Ways to Improve Your Health." you so sit on my site, and we are back with Captain Paul C. Chappelle. And I hope I'm pronouncing your name properly. Um, West Point graduate, yeah. and author. Am I?
4: Oh, you, you said Chappelle's correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. That, 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 <laughs> Thank <that's>
0: you. <laughs> yeah. Author thanks, of thanks. the Art of Waging Peace. Call 619-789-6835. Now, first, why don't you give us your website, your web address?
4: My, web, my website is PeacefulRevolution.com. Again, that's PeacefulRevolution.com. And people can contact me there and find out more information.
0: And they can purchase your so book pe-
4: at that website? Right, that, that's correct. Peacefulrevol- PeacefulRevolution.com. All the, all the books are available there as well.
0: Excellent. And is there a projection on when we might get that next, that fifth book?
4: <laughs> uh, probably 2015. Probably oh, 2015. Okay. It'll, it'll take me a year to write, and then the okay. editing and everything, it'll probably be ready in tw- 2015. But,
0: now, are you doing any public uh, signings or anything like that coming up anytime soon?
4: Uh, um, I speak year-round. My next big event is I'm speaking at the Veterans for Peace Convention, in Madison, Wisconsin, and Veterans for Peace, they're they do a lot of important work regarding the end of war and other issues that our country is dealing with right now. And uh-huh. people will just Google Veterans for Peace 2013 convention; they can find out more about it. And if they're in Madison, I hope they'll attend.
0: When is that?
4: I let me see. I think it's August. I'm speaking. Sometime in time. August. Yeah, I'm speaking on August Well they can go to the site That's not a problem uh, Folks, yeah. remember, check I'm, I'm, August. I'm, I'm speaking on, on August 10th But the convention uh. uh, Takes place I think from August 8th Through August
2: 12th Ah, Okay good
0: yeah. Alright very good So uh, is there any other contact Okay they can get everything off your website And that's peacefulrevolution.com Very good yeah, Okay yeah. well <clears throat> Um, Let's go on to uh, the power of calm.
4: So calm is one of the most important things that we can know how to utilize. And knowing how to calm people down, knowing how to calm ourselves down,
2: because it is a
4: scientific fact that when people are angry or afraid, the rational part of their brain shuts off. When you're really, really angry or really, really afraid, you can't think clearly. And it's a scientific fact that when you're really, really angry, when you're really, really afraid, people can't think
2: clearly. So
4: to get people to think clearly, you have to first be able to calm them down. And so I talk about these different steps for calming people down. One step is be calm. Mm. And that is one important step. For example, if you tell someone to calm down, that can make them more angry. If you tell someone, calm down, and they're really angry, they feel like they have a right to be upset. So telling them to calm down can come across as very condescending. So being calm is one important step. Another important step is to listen and be respectful. So listening and being respectful is very important. One thing I mentioned in the book is how in all of human history, in all of human history, I don't think anyone has ever seriously said, I hate it when people listen to me. I can't stand it when people listen to me. That's my biggest pet peeve is being listened to. Or in all of human history, I don't think anyone has ever seriously said, I hate it when people respect me. I can't stand it when people respect me. Me and my spouse have to go to marriage counseling because my spouse is always listening to me and respecting me. I, I can't take it anymore. So we know this fact about human nature, that human beings like to be listened to. Human beings like to be respected. And that a common cause of conflict is people's unwillingness or an inability to respect or listen to the other person. So listening and being respectful is a very important technique for waging peace. And if you look at how it applies to personal life, to family life, to the workplace, this is one reason why Martin Luther King Jr. was so effective, how he respected his opponent. And... The the third component of calming people down is to show care and concern,
2: Mm. where
4: if somebody's really angry, if you're just calm and you just listen, they might mistake that for you being apathetic to their problem. For example, if I wreck someone's car and they yell at me and I'm just calm and listening, they might think I don't care about their problem. So you have to verbalize your concern. Say, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I apologize if you felt disrespected. And we have to verbalize these things so that people can understand the compassion we feel for their
2: plight. Okay.
0: Thank you. Um, we're at that point in the program, this hour goes by so fast, where I ask my guests for their final words of wisdom for our listeners. So take a breath <laughs> and share with us what your final words of wisdom would be for our listeners tonight. Oh.
4: I would tell people that now is the time to be very hopeful. We have made a lot of progress as a country, as a species. I'm half Korean, a quarter white, and a quarter black, and I grew up in Alabama. Mm -hmm. And you're a woman, and neither of us would be here if the country was the way it was 200 years ago.
2: Mm -hmm.
4: But we have a long way to go, and our ability to keep making progress depends upon people taking action. If we don't take action, our country and planet aren't going to survive. We have to take action the way Susan B. Anthony, the way Martin Luther King Jr., the way Gandhi, the way other people have taken action, the way the women's rights activists took action. And if we do take strategic action, if we do practice the art of aging peace, we can really create a bright future not only for our own country, but people all over the world as
2: well.
0: Well, thank you very much, and um, I look forward to book five. And we'll have to have you come back when book five is coming out.
4: Uh, You have a uh, good evening. Thank you so much, Athenia. I I really appreciate all your compassion. Thank you, thank thank you for having me. I really appreciate
0: it. Our pleasure. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for our herb of the day. Today's herb is Yohimbe. Uh, the part used medicinally is the bark. And again, my re- resource for the, most of this information is Balk and Balk. Now, some of the phytochemicals include ajmaline, corinanthine, corinanthine tannin, and yohimbine. It increases libido and blood flow to erectile tissue and may increase testosterone levels. It is a key compound, uh, a key, uh, Yohimbine, a key compound of the herb, is sold as a prescription medication. Caution uh, it may induce anxiety, panic attacks, and hallucinations in some individuals. May also cause elevated blood pressure and heart rate, headache, dizziness, and skin flushing. Should not be used by women or by anyone with high blood pressure, uh, heart, kidney, or liver disease. Or a psychological disorder it should not be combined with foods rich in tyramine, such as cheese, red wine, and liver, as these may increase blood pressure to dangerous levels. Okay, now it's time for our asana. Okay,
2: today,
0: tonight's asana is Urdva Mukha Savasana. Now, uh, according to Dr. Shah, the benefits of doing this posture is that it tones complete spine and heart, expands chest and lungs, massages abdominal and pelvic organs, uh, tones the thyroid, adrenals, islets of Langerhans, hands, and gonads, strengthens all the joints and muscles of upper and lower extremities, and reduces fat around the abdomen, arms, and legs. Uh, again, I use ayengar the Ayengar way text as a resource for these asanas and um this is rated with one star level of difficulty uh It's a vigorous upward stretch of the trunk. You lie face down on the floor, take the feet about one foot apart, stretch the toes back, bend the elbows, and place the Uh, Bend the elbows and place the palms on the floor beside the chest, fingers apart and middle fingers pointing forward. Straighten the knees and stretch the legs. With an inhalation, press the tops of the feet and the palms into the floor. Raise the head and chest.
2: Uh,
0: Straighten the arms and lift the waist, hips and knees a few inches above the floor. Pull the trunk and legs forward. Turn the arms out and curve the trunk back between them. Bring the coccyx, sacrum, and lumbar forward. Contract the buttocks lightly and take them down. Stretch the front of the body from the pubis. Raise the sternum and the top ribs. Take the shoulders back and press the shoulder blades and dorsal spine in. Take the head back without constricting the neck or straining the throat. Gaze back to intensify the curve of the trunk. Stay for from 20 to 30 seconds, breathing evenly. With an exhalation, bend the arms and come down. And remember to rest in the pose. Um, Ways of practicing include getting a better lift by placing the hands on a brick or placing a chair against a wall and resting the tops of the thighs on it and gripping the chair firmly and um, curving the back. Okay, folks. You have been listening to Well with Me, Psychologist our senior and certified natural health care practitioner here on Blog Talk Radio. My live guest next week, July 23, 2013 will be Raymond Francis, a guest we've had on the presentation when uh, we we'll talked about his book, Never Be Sick Again, and Never Be Fat Again, as well as Never Fear Cancer Again. And he has a new book coming up, If I Feel old again. So check the website www.amtherapy.com to see who my guests will be. My rebroadcast guests will be Wednesday and Thursday next week, July 24 and 25. You can also go to another of my website, www.wellnessholinessandwisdom.com. Now, at the end of the next week's live program. We will discuss the herb yucca and the asana salabhasana one. Use the link on my site to listen to the program live on your computer, cell phone, BlackBerry, iPhone, iPad, iPod, playbook. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays when we air it at eight PM Eastern Time, or you can listen to an archived version anytime at your own convenience uh, and archived immediately. Uh, there's a link for advertising on the program uh, The email
2: is uh recording
0: consult at amtherapies.com
2: Wellness, holiness, and wisdom Be well